0: Alright, Gary Sharon is talking extreme, and he's talking Van Halen. He spent three years with Van Halen, recorded an album with them, and toured around. But is he still on good terms with Eddie and Alex and Wolfie, or even Michael and Anthony? He tells us all about it today on Talk Is Jericho. He's also talking about the band that made him famous, extreme, their biggest album ever, Pornography, More Than Words. He's also going to talk about his new band, Hurt Smile, which he formed with his brother. We're going to get our rock on once again with Gary Sharon right here on Talk Is Jericho.
1: Talk is Jericho,
0: baby. Talk is Jericho. Alright, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride because today's Talk is Jericho is being brought to you by Burger King. Yeah, right now at Burger King, get the new extra long jalapeno cheeseburger. You feel the flame with two all-beef patties stacked with spicy jalapeno peppers. It is hot, man. Now part of the two for five dollar deal. It's two for five. Two for for five, only at Burger King limited time only, restrictions apply alright, so the biggest thing going on in America and probably the world right now is the Force Awakens, the new Star Wars trailer, aired on Monday Night Football this past Monday, and people are flipping out over it, I am one of them I saw the original trailer that came out in April, and it was just a little bit of a tease, which was amazing, but to actually see this whole two and a half minute trailer, if you haven't checked it out, go on YouTube and watch it right now, it is so cool to see if you're a star wars fan from the 70s 80s 90s or 2000s everyone knows the legend of star wars everyone knows the story of star wars and the thing is the 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 ones that came out in the early 2000s that were parts one two and three with hayden christensen they're fine they're great but this one feels like the the star wars that we've all been waiting to see because it takes place after return of the jedi when all of the Jedi were, 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 were kind of dispersed, the, the Vader and the Empire were destroyed... And so now we're like 30, 40 years later when people aren't exactly too sure if that was real or not. But the thing that connects it all together, of course, is Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Chewbacca is in there, C-3PO is in there, R2D is in there. And just to see Harrison Ford in his Han Solo outfit with like the longer Han Solo hair and the the, the last uh, trailer he said to Chewie, Chewie, we're home. And it was like, oh, it gave me such goosebumps and gave me such a. I I said, I tweeted, it was actually the most anticipated and um, gratifying trailer I've ever seen in my life. Like, I was waiting so much to see it. And then when I saw it, I was just like, oh, this is going to be great. But it got even better with the new trailer where Solo goes, it's true. All of it. And I was just like, oh, MG, because he's talking about the whole legend of the Sith and the Jedi and the dark side and basically saying all of these rumors that you've kind of heard about, they're all true. And it just gave me goosebumps, you know, especially from Han Solo, the guy who never believed in that shit, hokey religions and superstitious nonsense. Is what he said about it, and you know, talking about the Jedi and talking about you know Obi Wan Kenobi and he's just a crazy old wizard or whatever. And now he knows that the Dark Side is real, that the Jedi's are real. But what's going to happen? I mean, those characters are great bridges to uh, the new, uh, from old to new. But there's all these new characters in there. I, I love um, you, you see that that's the the guy who's like looks like he was a stormtrooper, the sweaty African-American guy who's always sweaty in the trailer no matter where he is. He seems like he's a stormtrooper that's kind of uh, is trying to get out of it or something like that. Then you got Kylo Ren who's like that new Darth Vader type character who looks at the burned out Darth Vader mask and says, I'm going to pick up where you left off. And it's like, oh, what does that even mean? It's just really cool stuff. And then, of course, you got the, the, the girl who's in there. She kind of looks like maybe is it Princess Leia's daughter? Um, I'm not really too sure. you know, she's kind of seems to be like one of the new heroines heroines, what do you even say heroines? Her name is Ray, and the black guy's name is Finn. and it's just you just see all this cool imagery and of course, the Millennium Falcon is in there and it looks like there's some kind of a new death star in there. but but in the midst of all this cool imagery and the new poster, which is a, a throwback to great movie posters of old like Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Jedi, et cetera, et cetera. Big omission, no Luke Skywalker, no Mark Hamill on the poster or in the trailer. Even though he was in the original trailer from April, he's nowhere to be found. And you know that's by design. You know it's not a coincidence or they forgot to put Luke Skywalker on there. J.J. Abrams has something going on. And I'll tell you this too, anybody who's scared and thinks that this Star Wars won't be completely kick-ass doesn't really know um, anything about J.J. Abrams. He rescued the Star Trek franchise, the movies, and now he is going to do the same with Star Wars. And he wouldn't take on the Star Wars challenge if it wasn't going to be great, okay? I just know it. And it's like he's playing guitar for the Beatles and the Stones at the same time. It's a little bit strange. But he wouldn't take this challenge unless it was going to be great. I guarantee that. I have some sources. Some sources that I have. Sounded like Yoda there. Let's have some sources I have. Sources tell me movie good. Seen first 20 minutes. Say is amazing. I don't know if that's Yoda or the Rain Man, but either one, they're great. But also, uh, so no Mark Hamill. We saw Han Solo. Okay. Harrison Ford. We saw Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, which was so rad to see Princess Leia, even though she's like 58 years old now which means she was 21 when the original Star Wars came out and means that she was 27 when she wore the Jabba the Hutt bikini, the space-age bikini that was the crux for every prehubescent uh, young teenager's uh, sexual fantasies back at the time. Who didn't think Princess Leia? I mean, she was so hot in that Jedi bikini. And here she is. She, you know, Getting to see her is cool. Obviously, she's still married. Oh, Han, Han that rogue. But no Mark Hamill. So, of course, the internet, no Luke Skywalker. The internet has gone crazy. Star Wars fans, much like KISS fans, much like wrestling fans, are super, super passionate. Super, super paranoid and reading everything into everything. And it's funny because I am a wrestling fan. I am a KISS fan and I'm a Star Wars fan. So, I'm a lunatic too. Loony, 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 loony. So, I went online and perused a couple of articles. Talked to a couple of my friends to see what they thought see what all the different uh, theories are and I found this uh, one article on NME.com which I believe is New Music Express out of England with five theories on what happened to Luke and why he's not in the trailer and and what the deal is so uh, one of them he's lost on a desert planet Luke Skywalker's severed hand and lightsaber, lost to his dad, Darth Vader, in Empire Strikes Back, are tumbling into the path of The Force Awakens' main characters, Rey, that's the girl, and Finn, that's the uh, Stormtrooper guy. Supposedly, after finding bits of Luke, the pair then go on a quest with Han Solo and Chewbacca to find the rest of him. Uh, I'd say that's kind of lame. That's like almost uh, The Force Awakens, the search for Luke. Let's not say that one's probably not going to happen. Number two, I like this one. He's gone to the dark side. As anyone who's seen the Batman film or two will know, good guys shouldn't kill their nemesis like Luke did at the end of Return of the Jedi. Without the evil empire, emperor to fight against, Luke faces existential crisis, becomes mad and evil, and according to this theory, kills his old pal Han Solo. Now, I like that one, the fact um, that Luke turns to the dark side. And that's kind of what Kylo Ren was saying, that I will finish what you started, looking at the Darth Vader mask, because Darth wanted Luke to follow in his footsteps. Luke, I am your father. Join me. We can rule together. And I think maybe, like they said, Luke killed his nemesises, and then as this Jedi with all this power and maybe started losing his mind and went to the dark side, and maybe that'll be the surprise. Maybe Luke is Kylo, uh, Kylo Ren. I don't know. But how cool would it be if he kills Han? And I think, and I'm telling you this right now, once again, no spoilers, I don't know a thing, I think Han is going to die in The Force Awakens. Because he, uh, he wanted to die in Empire Strikes Back, but George Lucas wouldn't allow it. So I think he's coming back to die one way or another. And I ain't talking about Blondie. So I think that's a good likelihood for that one. All right. Here's another one. He's living in self-imposed exile. Luke's done something apocalyptic and unforgivable with the Force, not wanting to make the same mistakes as his dad. He's hidden away from society while his sanity slowly seeps away. It's up to Force Awakens' new hero Rey and Finn and the villains, the Knights of Ren, to reawaken his interest in galactic affairs for good or evil. That's not a bad one, too. Maybe he's gone and become a hermit, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Full circle, as you can see, uh, what, what, how it started is how it will end. And maybe there's a race to see who can get to Luke Skywalker first. Remember, he's the most powerful Jedi. he's He could be the only Jedi left and the only one that can train a new Jedi. So I like kind of that idea as well, the race to see who can get him first, and then he has to struggle with good and evil. Uh, number four, he's protecting an ancient Sith tomb. The Force Awakens' new Vader, Kylo Ren, is going around collecting artifacts with his group, the Knights of Ren. Luke's old lightsaber, the one he lost in episode five, was once Darth Vader's and supposedly has the power to open an evil housing Sith tomb. So maybe there's like some kind of a, yeah, Luke. Luke only Luke has the power to open up this crazy Sith tomb with all this evil inside of it. That one uh, sounds like it could be okay. So once again, there's a little bit of a race to get to Luke to try and get him to open this evil tomb, kind of a Raiders of the Lost Ark type thing. And here's the last one. He's being held in captivity by evil folks. Some bad guys are planning to use, uh, use Luke's Jedi powers to activate a planet-based weapon that has the power to destroy entire star systems, making him a more potent version of the Death Stars he went to such lengths to destroy. That's how irony plays out in Star Wars, with the deaths of billions of life forms. Well, I mean, that one's pretty uh, interesting, too. Once again, if if you look on the poster, you can kind of see there's a a giant Death Star type type, uh, uh, planet type of a thing with a big cannon coming out of it or something like that. So maybe it's like a living Death Star, part of nature or something along those lines. So like I said, once again, not sure exactly uh, how... or or where or when we're going to see Luke Skywalker, but he will be in The Force Awakens. We know that. But it'll be a total crux to the plot and a huge twist as to what exactly happens. I'm excited about this movie. I think it's great that Disney took over for George Lucas because George couldn't do it anymore, wasn't interested anymore. Disney can and will. This will be now like the James Bond franchise that can live forever because there's so many different characters in the universe. And we've never had a movie series like this before. With, with just the idea of it, with all different characters all throughout. So I'm really, really excited about it, and I'm just chomping at the bit. I actually went on Fandango right now. Uh, Fandango Ate My Baby, I think it is. Fan Mango. And I bought five tickets for, for my family and I to go see the premiere of The Force Awakens, the new Star Wars movie that opens Friday, December 18th. And there will be a special Star Wars symposium. On Talk is Jericho right before that uh, movie opens up. So you'll hear lots of Star Wars details with some real nerdy friends of mine. But I won't reveal who they are until that is ready to uh, to happen. It's coming up soon, though. Very, very soon. is coming up. Only a few months. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, eh, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk as Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. All right, on the line with me right now, one of my favorite singers, Gary Sharone, is here, and it's good to talk to you face to well, not face to face, but voice to voice.
2: Hey man, nice talking to you. Looking forward to the conversation, brother.
0: You know what's funny is that um, I was just listening. You know, sometimes when you when you have a, uh, you're going to have a guest on the show, they sent they sent the um, the new Hurt Smile record, and I was listening to it over uh, in the car on the way over here, and it blew my mind, dude. Like seriously, not just saying that because you're on the show. It is a great record. Uh, the okay. new the new record, Retro Grenade, it's killer.
2: Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. I'm excited about it.
0: i you, you should, because you never know. Like, it's, okay, it's, it's Gary's other band, Hurt Smile. So I'm thinking, I wonder what it's going to sound like. But it's got a lot of the same type of uh, qualifications and same type of 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 uh, features that Extreme would have. It's very sure. funky. It's very heavy. A lot of Beatles tinged influences. Sure.
2: Yeah. It's it's in, it's it's in uh, it's in the same strike zone, obviously. I, you know, I sing like I sing and uh but, you know, my brothers my brother Mark's a guitar player, you know, we grew up on the same music. Obviously we're East Coast Boston and they you know, these guys are they were around during uh you know, the extreme you know, extreme playing the clubs in Boston. So it's my mistress band. <laughs> I feed on extreme with this band. <laughs>
0: how how is it being in a in a band with your brother?
2: Uh it's a if I to that, it depends on which brother. But this brother, I, I got no problem with. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, my brother Mark, my younger brother Mark, plays guitar. You know, again, like he grew up uh, watching. Uh, you know, my my garage bands. Uh, you know, starting out, started uh, you know a few local bands uh, during uh, when Extreme kind of left the local scene, and uh, uh, Mark's great talent. They they all are actually.
0: So, is this a band that you just put together, or did you guys uh, have you guys been always kind of jamming throughout the years?
2: No, it's a long time coming, you know, uh, uh, we put out a record in 2011, this is our second record, you know, I told the guys, you know, if you want this thing to be more than, uh, you know, Gary Sharon's side project and it have its own identity, we need to keep on writing and keep on, you know, putting out records, so in between, you know, that's what I'm doing right now... Uh, um, with extreme, it's a little difficult to juggle uh, the bands. Obviously, you know, extreme's the mother ship. We're doing a festival this weekend. We're, we're starting to write for the next record, so uh, they're they're as patient as they can be with me. <laughs> Hurt smile.
0: Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, there's there's a lot of different moving parts, like you mentioned with Hurt Smile, and then there's extreme, and then of course Nuno now is playing with Rihanna. So everybody, everybody's got to keep all the all the pie plates spinning on the. <laughs> on the little sticks as you get uh, ready for each project.
2: Yeah, that's true. So that's what we're that's what we're up to now. We're flying out to Chicago, we're doing um we're doing Farm Rock. And uh, it can be difficult at times, but it's, you know, keeps you busy, keeps you chops up, uh, you know.
0: Well, and that's kind of the way it is nowadays as far as, you know, being in the mu- music business, the changes that have happened, and I'm sure you've seen them all since you guys debuted back in about 89 or so. You guys got to keep rolling and keep working. And if one band is on a hiatus, then you got to take it up with the other band just to just to keep the ball rolling.
2: Oh, yeah. The, the whole the whole world has changed, with, you know, with the Internet. But actually, you know, technology has actually helped uh, facilitate, you know, side, you know, side projects. And, and you can you can do more, actually. You can you know, I, I can't I can't right now tour with Hertzmile. So I'll put out a few videos when I come home from Extreme. And you know, raise the profile of the band, and that's that's what it is. It's no longer, you know, the town square of MTV, and putting out CDs. You know, it's a world of streaming. I mean, we can go on forever about how how the music business has changed.
0: With uh, with Hurt Smile, is this on a label? Did you release it through a record label?
2: No, our own. The first one I think was. Uh, geez, I forget. I think it was Frontier. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was Extreme. But no, we just put we just put this out. And um, I thought of just, you know, digitally releasing it. But I'm an old school guy. I'm sure you are. Mm -hmm. You know, I I still love the CD and I I still love, you know, I I still want to reissue some extreme records on on vinyl, which is its own little world, you know.
0: And that's made such a big comeback over the last few years. Because you mentioned, like, when you grew up in the 80s and 90s, having that physical copy was so... I don't know. It was just it gave it an extra, an extra, uh, bit of coolness that you could actually hold it and look at it and read it, and then that kind of disappeared. But now vinyl has made a big return, and people are super listening to just that now.
2: Right, right. And some of the packages, you know, the reissued packages, you know, they got booklets in them, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so so that's it. But you 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 raise a good point. I remember growing up, you know, just being in my bedroom and you know Aerosmith toys in the attic and reading. Reading every word on the thing yeah. and turning it around and staring at Tyler, and go, you know, what's this? What's this guy thinking? You know, totally. You know? And then I'd always
0: see like who wrote the songs, how long are the songs. I was into every little bit of minutia that was in the in, in the packaging.
2: Oh yeah,
1: yeah.
0: How, how much younger is your brother than you?
2: Uh, f- uh, five years.
0: So uh, when you were a kid, did you did, did you guys ever like did he ever follow you around when you were jamming in the garages or anything like that, or was he just a nuisance? Oh, always-
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, me as a teenager, you know, it's five years younger. I was that fifteen, sixteen-year-old kid in the basement, you know, with the local, local kids playing. And he was that ten-year-old kid picking up the guitar. You know, when when rehearsal was over, he'd be the he'd be the fly in the wall. Little did I know he'd be he'd become the more talented guy. <laughs> he's great. He's actually he's he's quite a talent.
0: Well, you can tell. Like I said, I mean, his playing is is tremendous on on Retro Grenade. And uh, and like I said, I mean, not that it's a it's 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 a, it's a very cool thing. There is a little bit of Nunoism in there. The guy's a great player. Like this could be like a rock and roll cliche that kicks off the record. It could mm-hmm. be an extreme song.
2: Sure, absolutely, yeah, no, no. It's again, it's in that same, it's in that same world, and that's a compliment. You know, um, you know, we grew up. You know, Retro Grenade, the name. You know, we grew up with. Uh, Though that music from the '70s, I think of Aerosmith, I think of Queen, I think of Cheap Trick. Obviously, the bands that they were influenced by—the Who and you know, Zeppelin and, and the Beatles—all that stuff—I would hope comes out in the record. Not comparing it, just mm-hmm. you know, um, those are those are the band's influences, and I think it screams that. And plus, uh, plus, I think there's. Um, uh, diversity on the record. Uh, the other video, goodbye, mm-hmm. kind of like an Eagles, you know. Yeah, totally. Rock totally.
0: Yeah. Is there um, when you grew up in Boston? How, what was the music scene like? I mean, obviously you mentioned Aerosmith, and I can tell when you first, uh, you know, when we first started talking, you have the total wicked piss of Boston accent. <laughs>
1: yeah, which yeah, is... that doesn't change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, w- w- was the scene pretty happening when you were, when you were growing up when you were a kid?
2: Yeah. You know, Boston was a big college town. There was there was great clubs to play. But growing up, you know, we we you know, we had Aerosmith. we had the band Boston, we had Jay Giles, you know, those bands mm-hmm. come to mind. And uh we had the Boston Garden. If you weren't a sports fan, you know, they kick you out of Boston so <laughs> it was either Bruins and Celtics uh back in the day at the garden or you'd go see uh you'd go see um the band, you know. Um, plus, then when you grow, grew up in, in the scene, it, it's gone now. You know, it seems to be either house music or cover bands. Mm-hmm. But back, Extreme was lucky because we got out of town in the late late 80s, early 90s. But during the 80s and 70s, you know, we had local radio stations that supported local music. And there was a scene. There was, you know, 10, 15 clubs mm-hmm. you could play every week. A different club, and then it just kind of dissolved. It's, you know, things change. I'm sure it's happened in your Yorktown as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, pretty much everywhere, even when you're trying to find places to play, you know, we do a lot of our shows in England, in the UK, and stuff like that. Every time there's a new tour, like, this club is gone, this club turned into a dance club, this club burned down under mysterious circumstances. It's just right. part of the uh, part of the trials and tribulations of being in a rock and roll band.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, the clubs found it easier to, uh, you know, pay a DJ and and not have to deal with, uh, you know, loading in and loading out. You know, scenes change, but, you know, uh, there's always, uh, there'll always be rock and roll. There'll always be that kid who picks up the guitar. It might not be in the mainstream, you know. uh, The mainstream is dominated by pop and R&B and rap and all that stuff. But, you know, metal... Rock and roll—it'll always—it'll always be there. It Just might not always be in the mainstream.
0: And that's kind of always been the case too, though, Gary. Like even I remember when I was a kid—you know, being a rock and roll fan, a heavy metal fan. Pop music always takes precedent. You know, the girls Absolutely. seem to always be into that. So it, it's been an underground thing probably since 1958 when Elvis first came out.
2: Right. Uh, no, you're right, and uh, um, and let it always be that way. It, it's it's edgy. It's not it's not controlled by you know. You know, once you dive into the big record companies, and we, we had those battles when we got signed. You know, uh, you had more people wanting to put their fingers in the pie, telling you you not, not to look like that mm-hmm. in the video this way. And that's, you know, we'll get some outside writers. And, you know, we had all those, we had all those uh, battles. And uh, I'm happy to say Extreme were pretty stubborn. Now I don't know, you know, we won a lot of battles. I don't know if we won the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if we played the game, uh, the band would have been bigger. But we, no regret. We, we, um, you know, we've always been. Uh, uh, we've always wanted to do it our way, and that—that's hurt smile too, man. I'm, I'm playing with guys that want to play and write with me, and uh, and uh, there's a freedom. There's a freedom there.
0: Well, and you mentioned kind of extreme when 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 the record I first came uh, into you guys, and I think pornography. And there was a different style and sound of extreme, for sure. It was very, you know, funk, metal, whatever you want to call it. But that yeah. was not what was kind of the norm back at that time frame. So was it ever difficult for you guys? Because, you know, as you know, we know if you want to make it, you got to do something different, but it's hard to kind of convince the powers that be that it's going to work.
2: Yeah, yeah, the powers that be, the record companies, they want you to sound like uh, what's on top, whether it's Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: any individuality that's trying to conform you Extreme, believe it or not, we were a little outside outside that circle. But Nuno was such a player; his guitar playing could not be ignored. Granted, we we kind of whether you call it funk metal or you know to, to us it was just inspired by Zeppelin and Van Halen. Mm-hmm. So those rec- and our, those records grooved. Um, but I think what really made it frustrating for Extreme is that more than words became bigger than the band and then it was then it was the ballad band you know some people would say oh, there's only two guys in the band <laughs> so that's something that uh the perception of the band was saying okay that's one-tenth of the band but you know we got we're doing get the funk out and decadence stance and and the heaviest stuff you know but in the end i think that's what differentiated us we we were the band that could uh you know do a little standard piano ballad and and uh we we wore that with pride
0: i remember uh my little cousin i think she was about 13 or maybe 12 when more than words came out and she didn't know that Extreme was, you know, a, a pretty heavy rock band. Because as you as you know, when you get to the get to the mainstream, a lot of people just know oh more than words. And now there's wholehearted. So like you said, there are a ballad bands. So her mom bought bought her the album for Christmas, and then when it opens up with Deck dance and get the funk out, and she wasn't allowed to listen to it anymore. So there you go. You still had the rock cred.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That's good. Actually, that's that's funny because I, I, you know, we were told many times. Uh, Sometimes it was probably the most returned record because the mother would go out and buy the you know a pretty little song by the two Italian boys. You
0: know, <laughs> right? The Italian so, boys.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and go uh, and find. Oh, that's porn Graffiti. That's in the metal hard rock section. No, no, that's not that's not the song I'm talking about. Yes, it is. Go over there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. on the record called pornograffiti, right? Pornograffiti.
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs>
0: you know, which is great too. I just uh, I was noticing because when I saw Hurt Smile, the name of the record is Retro Grenade. So then I remember pornography, and then I remember there was uh, political calamity. There's evangelist. You always what? you always like doing that, putting the two words together to make a, a new term.
2: I first give you credit for doing your homework. Awesome. Uh, well, that I don't know. That that you just trip upon. You know, um, that's funny. Uh, pornography. I think that was one of the first. I think we wrote. A, I think we wrote a, one of our first songs back in the club days. It was called "America Cocaine."
0: Uh, ah, there's another one.
2: Yeah, so that, that never made it on a record, but um, I guess that was the beginning of it. Well, yeah, what, You know, Retro, Retro Grenade, that was the 11th hour title. I was coming up with, you know, five, six titles, a band saying they suck. And uh, I think my manager says, you've got to come up with a title. And, and I was, I don't know, I must have saw the word uh, uh, retrograde.
1: Yeah, and,
2: You know, so it works. It works got- for the theme.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of become a, a Gary Sharon trademark at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what but else? too? when I when I uh, g- Googled it just to see, just to kind of see, it's actually, and this is the history word lesson of the day. It's called a portmanteau. Did you know that?
2: No, I didn't. I didn't that either. That's a combination of words. Yeah. Port- that's yeah. A
0: portmanteau. What,
2: how, what's it called? A port?
0: No, it's a p o r t m a n t e a u. Portmanteau.
2: Well, you just named the next extreme record. <laughs> Portmanteau.
0: <laughs> it's, it sounds like a place near Cape Cod that you pull your boat up and get gas or something.
2: Oh, yeah. I grew up there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> in Portmanteau. So let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit about, um, about the pornography. I mean, obviously, probably the most famous record in extremes uh, canon, 25th anniversary. I know you guys have been playing it in its entirety still such a great record to this day. Every song uh, is great. Even uh, when I first kissed you, which when I, when I first heard it it was like, what the hell is this doing on here? But that's a great tune as well, even
2: in its own way. Uh, Thanks. You know, that was one of the battles we won. Going back to what I, what I said about, uh, you know, record companies. Uh, We presented it. It was a, you know, a little bit of a uh, uh, storyline and, you know, funked up fairy tale, a little bit of concept going on in the record. And, I was making a pitch for when I first kissed you, and uh I remember the a and r guy saying it doesn't belong on the record, let it be a beat guide and um, I think we were eating at barney's in in l a and we just uh, I, I wouldn't let him uh i wouldn't let him leave the table and i go no it's good. it's got to be on the record. this is the stuff that you know i think a queen love of my life and right. some of the, some of those records they they take this left turn, so that was that was a that was a battle we won. Uh, we finally, on this Porn and Graffiti tour we've been doing for the past uh, year, that was one of the songs we never did back in the day, and, and we had to, to relearn it, and it's, it's a great moment on tour. Play it, you know, band, band breaks down, and Nuno gets on the piano, and we do this little lounge song uh, that I'm sure first-timers that come in are, you know, are go- <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, either they're going to the bathroom,
0: <laughs> you know merch sales pick up exponentially whenever you guys do that song
2: exactly <laughs> so so that
0: is always uh, the question that I was wondering because with the subtitle of the, uh, a funked up fairy tale is Pornography uh, a concept record?
2: It depends on who you ask the band uh, I mean I wrote, I wrote the lyrics uh, absolutely there's a thin storyline going on it's, it's really you know boy leaves home loses his, his innocence sex, sex drugs and rock and roll he tries to you know, the world wears you down, and, you know, he's trying to keep his soul throughout, you know. Uh, so you have the temptations of money and Susie with the sex and the ambition with when I'm president and, uh, uh, you know, the the love he had at home, the road, all the temptation. And at the end, you know, uh, at the end, love wins out, but it really doesn't because he whole— oh, I'm giving you the synopsis right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, wholehearted at the end is, you know, still searching and it kind, of kind of leads into the next record, Three Sides of Every Story. And that's just how I write it. It depends on if there's a group of songs, you know, Nuno and I were constantly writing and you're in that framework and you're pretty much, you know, trying to be honest with your music. So you're writing about your life and what's going on and your surroundings. And, and that was uh, some of the stuff we were going through, when our first record was delayed, and we were still in the clubs, and so yes,
0: so yes. it is to a answer, concept.
2: To answer the question, yes. <laughs> so well, I could have just said yes.
0: Well, yeah, but that, but that wouldn't make for a good interview. You know what I mean? Right. You actually told the story, which is you told the concept, which I've been wondering for 25 years. So thank you, <laughs> Gary. You know.
2: Uh, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about um, about you mentioned when the when the record came out, I remember I think maybe Decadence Dance was the first single, and Get the Funk yeah. Out was there. How how much did the band explode when More Than Words finally came out? And was the record a hit when it was first released?
2: Well, you know, our first record, uh, Extreme, sold about 300,000. You know, the record company thought it was it was good. You know, we got on the, uh, you know, heavy metal ball, headbangers ball, mm-hmm. you know, on MTV and all that stuff. So going into the second record, there was a lot of support. Uh, we played a couple of, you know, club tours, went to Europe, I think, for the second time. You know, shitty club tours. Right. Uh, nine months into the record, we put out a couple videos. Like you said, Decadent stamp. Eh, you know, again, heavy metal, uh, headbangers, ball. Get the funk out. You know, nothing stuck to the wall. Um, I think we were in Europe. We'll uh, no, I think we came back home. And this is nine months into the record. We decided to do, uh, to do More Than Words. It was really a Denver radio station that tested the song in that small market, mm-hmm. and uh, it started to domino. So um, we, were, we were literally writing the third record. You know, mm. We had more success than the first record, so we didn't think it was a disappointment, but uh, more, once More Than Words hit, we went off to do a European tour. It exploded on MTV, and it, it crossed into the mainstream. We couldn't believe it. We were away, our, you know, our families were calling us saying, you know, we see the video on, you know, every minute. So, uh, and, then, and then we couldn't get off the door for the next two years. So it went from, okay, guys, we're going to work on our third record, try to do it again, to uh, not getting off the road. We got the bon, jo- you know, bon Jovi, ZZ Top, Brian Adams. You know, we we couldn't get off tour.
0: Tour, yeah. He's getting but, all these different tours. There's a lot of diverse bands that you're talking about too, with Bon yeah. Jovi to ZZ to Brian Adams, and that kind of fits the style of Extreme. You guys could could open for any of those bands and just change your set list a little bit if you oh, had to.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I, I remember ZZ Top was, I forget. I think it was Dusty. who just came. I like I like two songs of you. I like that wholehearted song. You know, the, 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 the little the country things one. Yeah. The bluesy one.
0: He so put that but in. The more than
2: words, you know. More than words, it exploded. Like I said, it became bigger than the band. So we had to hang on to that because it was taking us places that we may have never seen. You know, and it actually uh, you owe a great debt to the song because it really introduced uh, the band uh, to the mainstream. So then people did hear, like you said, the people that went in to go buy uh, more than words were introduced to extreme.
0: So. Right, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the thing too. When you think about a lot of the big records of that time frame, you know whether it be—I know it was a few years earlier—but hysteria, I think, took a year to really hit, or appetite for destruction took an, uh, like you know six, eight, ten months to hit. And that was kind of the way that you did it back then: just put out a single, put out a single, and then when you're ready to go, you go. But suddenly, you guys struck gold the same way that Sweet Child of Mine did for for Guns and Roses.
2: Sure, yeah, and we're lucky, you know, it, it bought us, uh, uh, you know. It bought us the freedom to do what we want to do for the next record, you know, more control, you know, success. But then you have then you have the the record company saying, "Where's the next More Than Words? Where's the next?" Mm. Lucky, you know, we, we were fortunate. We we're fortunate to have Wholehearted on the record because that was the obvious follow-up to More Than Words, and it right, you know,
0: even Song of Love, you know, if you they, that yeah. could have been the next one, you could have done three singles there if you wanted to because that's another really strong kind of ballad song.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I think at that point, we were on tour, Ben was burning out, and we were excited to do the next record. We were writing a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the iconic video for More Than Words. I mean, still to this day, that imagery is very uh, very unique. It really uh, still stands out to this day.
2: It really was unique. I uh, give credit to John and Val, um, who, I forget their last name, but they did um, They did some Smashing Pumpkins, I, I I don't know if they did a Chili Pepper video before that. They had some success, and they heard the song. It was their vision, black and white, classic. And, again, that song, in that world, um, there was a lot of power ballads going on. Gr- granted, you had um, the Poison song, Every Rose. and, and Yeah, something
0: uh, to believe in, probably. So that would be the, the time frame yeah. of, like, Flesh and Blood, yeah.
2: Right, but um, but more than words stuck out, you know, just the guitar... And two harmony vocals, you know, it was a Beatle influence to us, but a lot of people were throwing the Everly Brothers at us. and Wow. With, you know, just the harmonies. And we were like, well, you know, we know the Everly Brothers, but it was more inspired by, by If I Fell by the Beatles, mm. you know. Um, and uh, the video captured a moment. I mean, I, I think right now I think a Jack Black. I
0: was you know, just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> you know. Jack Black and Jimmy Fallon just recreated it for The Tonight Show.
2: Right, and that's a testament. You know, It's a testament to the song, but I, I think the, what they did, they, they recreated the video. So it's a real testament to uh, the iconic images and what um, the directors did. I, I, I give them all the credit.
0: And even the hair, that was the way we all did our hair back then. you grow all your bangs out, and then you'd, you'd, tie it, you'd tie it back so there'd be kind of a mid-level ponytail uh, in I'm, the middle.
2: I'm, we- I'm wearing it right now, brother.
0: <laughs> Still got it going on. <laughs>
2: yeah, and you know, if you listen to uh, the Jack Black version, if you, if you didn't know who they were, they did a great version. He can sing. Oh, he's they a great singer. Did sing. yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Did you know it was coming out um, when they were doing it?
2: No, we didn't. But I did get a heads up like an hour before. My man, said, uh, uh, you know, DVR, it, and uh, I'm sitting there. Uh, I was, you know, laughing out loud. But but in, at the same time, I'm going, oh, what a great version! They're doing a great version.
0: You know. Yeah, that's the thing. They nailed they nailed the harmonies. So even though it's like visually it's hilarious, but musically it's just perfect.
2: Right. I, you got uh, you got Fallon doing the you know the hair thing.
0: With Nuno, yeah, Fallon was Nuno and Jack was you, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, Jack was me. Uh, Jack was an exaggerated me that only Jack could do. <laughs> <Right. Yeah.
0: laughs> uh, if you haven't seen it at home, you got to check it out. It's it's from the Tonight Show. Jack Black yeah. and Jimmy Fallon doing more than words, and it's great. Yeah, uh, let's talk some about. I mean, you talked about touring with ZZ Top and touring with with Bon Jovi. I, something that to me really brought Extreme to the forefront on top of more than words as, as visually as a band was watching the Freddie Mercury concert from Wembley Stadium. And you guys, I, I don't know if you kicked off the show, but you guys really stole the show in a lot of ways by performing that Queen medley. Tell us about how that all came about.
2: Oh, thanks, man. That's great. Uh, yeah, you know, I could. we should have started the interview with that because uh, I could spend an hour on it. Um, <laughs> You know, we were, were huge queen fans, collectively extreme, you know. I mean, we worshiped at the altar of these guys. And um, I think it was during Porn Graffiti when we were having some success. We, you know, we knew Brian. I think a few years before that, Nuno was invited to a Guitar Heroes thing in Spain uh, with Brian and Joe Satriani and uh, I think Joe Walsh. And uh, they needed a singer, uh, so you know, Nuno's... Suggested me, I, I went over there. I sang a couple Queen songs. This was uh, maybe a year and a half before that. So we knew Brian. He came on stage with Extreme. We did Tie Your Mother Down. So we became friends with them, uh, friends with Brian and Roger, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was one of those times, uh, one of those times we were in England and, uh, you know, the tragedy of Freddie dying. We were out, out with Brian and talking uh he was talking about doing the the biggest show that the world's ever going to see and and he suggested us doing it we're trying to all keep our cool we're like yeah yeah of course we'll, of course we'll do it mm-hmm. of we'll, you know when he left the table we were we were out of our minds going i can't believe brian you know wants us to do uh, this tribute which happened which ended up being the freddie mercury tribute you got robert plant Daltrey and Elton John, David Bowie, going forever.
0: Everybody was there. George Michael, yeah, everybody.
2: Yeah, it was the biggest. And then you got your contemporaries, Metallica, Def Leppard, I think Def Leppard will show.
0: Guns N' Roses.
2: Uh, Guns N' Roses. You know, when, um, when, Brian, when Brian asked us to do it, we were recording Three Sides. We went back, pulled out the Queen records. We knew exactly what we were going to do. Uh, you know, Queen, at Live Aid, did their medley. We go, we're gonna do our version of Queen we're not gonna play our songs. No one wants to hear our songs. We're gonna do we're gonna do Queen songs. So believe it or not, the medley was like fifty minutes long, we had to cut it to twenty. It was it was terrible cutting these cutting the you know, our favorite Queen songs but uh, yeah. probably the best moment in you know, Extreme's career that day to meet Daltry and Plant and get to sing you know, get to sing. For me it was my favorite band still is. And then I got to sing a, a song with Queen, so it doesn't get any better than that.
0: What song did you do with Queen? Hammer uh, to Fall. On, he,
2: yeah, Hammer to Fall.
0: Yeah. It just, just the visual of that. Like that was probably, you know, I don't know if you could do a concert like that in this day and age. You probably could, but just everybody was there. I mean, what was it like in the backstage area? I mean, everyone from Liza Minnelli to uh, Bocelli to Axl Rose to Hetfield to Daughtry. Oh. everybody. Tony Iommi.
2: Yeah. The day before the backstage, uh, the day before in the rehearsals, I would have been happy. You know, I would have died and went to heaven after the rehearsals. I'm standing there waiting. You know, here's Queen rehearsing, and you got Bowie in the wing. You got Annie Lennox. I'm standing next to Annie Lennox, and and like I don't want to go on before her. I don't want to go rehearse before her. <laughs> you know, and you know you you step you step up to the plate. You're rehearsing with Queen. Everyone's doing it twice. Now I did my homework, so I went up there. Did Hammer to Fall with with the guys, and I was ready to do it again. And, you know, Brian goes, okay, that's good. I'm going, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, well, no, no, you, you know it. And I'm like, I should have screwed up, so, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, you're right. You know, then the day of the show, uh, I remember, you know, hey, it's like dropping names. I don't mind dropping these names. Please. But, uh, uh, you know, Daltry, I wasn't, you know, he grabbed my arm, and he's pulling at me. And he's dragging me up these stairs and i you know, I didn't even meet him yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so pulling me up these stairs and he goes, You gotta meet my you gotta meet my daughters. They're big fans of Extreme are like you know, so I'm running up the stairs, I meet I meet his two kids and, you know, they're 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 excited to meet, you know, Extreme and uh all I could say was, Do you know who your father is? Do <laughs> you, know, you know who your father is? And so uh you know, that day was uh
0: and that's always cool too. That gives you a little bit of street cred in front of Roger Daughtry That you know his kids want to meet you.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, uh, I again I could go on forever. You know, I think Robert Plant was hanging out with uh, with the Def Leppard guys, and I think me and Nuno were in the room at the time, and he came in, and we're, you're stunned. I mean, I'm sure you've met
1: mm-hmm. some of your
2: heroes, but you're stunned when you meet. These guys that have been on your wall your whole life and and the reason you know the reason you wanted to pick up a guitar or sing so you know uh, we played with we played with Aerosmith a couple months ago and you know we've become friends with those guys over the years but you still still look at you know, still look at Thailand I go really yeah start, he's
0: still talking to Thailand <laughs> do you ever watch that back do you ever have you ever seen the Freddie Mercury is it something you check out once in a while.
2: I do, uh, I do occasionally, and and I get. It's funny because it was. I'm I'm distanced from it, and I know the band had a great, you know, great performance. But do, when I do watch it, I still know I'm struggling with that note. Uh, here I am. <laughs> so it's, it's so funny though. It's it was a moment, you know, it was a moment, and thank God the band had a good, good gig. We walked off. Uh, we walked off that stage, and we were all, in, you know. You know, walking off the stage, you know when you have a bad night, and someone goes out, ah, you know, had a great night, and the other guy goes out, ah, suckiest night, and this was one of those moments we got off and we looked at each other. You have a good, you have a good gig. We all went, yeah, yeah. I hope it's as good as I thought it was.
1: So, well,
0: I'll tell you, it was like I said for me, it was one of the show stealers because of that medley. You know, it was something that you hadn't, you didn't expect, and didn't know where it was going. It was really, really well done.
2: Oh, thanks. Thank you.
0: All right, Gary. You're always going to be known as one of the three singers of Van Halen.
2: Yeah, just what I just said. Uh, it doesn't get better than the, yeah, the Freddie Mercury. Thing.
0: Well, it kind of does.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, that's that's surreal. You go into the VH
1: experience.
2: Uh, that's more of a fantasy than anything. I, you know, I, I say to myself, "Really?" I was in that band for three years. I did a record and tour.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, you, Extreme, especially when you guys first started, such a Van Halen influence. I mean, you can hear oh. it play with me, and basically most of the first record is, is Aerosmith and Van Halen, like you mentioned. Sure. And, and then here you are in the band. How did that all come to pass, Gary?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, it was, I think it was ninety ninety one. we toured with uh, David Lee Ross and Cinderella and Extreme, and it was just about the time More Than Words blew up. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Roth would come in the dressing room and, and we'd be writing for the next record and he'd go, are these the hits of tomorrow, today? You know, <laughs> and do his shtick. And, uh, you know, little did I know, you know, five, five six years later, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to sing with these guys. It's very, it's almost difficult to talk about because it's, it's surreal uh, how that came about. Uh, our manager managed uh, Van Halen at the time and uh, I remember the, the hoopla on MTV, you know, they broke up with Sammy, David Lee Roth's going to come back. They were playing that Welcome Back Carter" commercial with Roth. Mm-hmm. Everyone just died. I was excited. I was talking to Pat, my bass player, when that MTV commercial came on and they were hinting that Roth was going to come back. I mean, this is months before I got the call.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I'm, I'm like, yeah, Dave's going to be back. That's great. You know, see Van, you know, Van Halen original lineup. A month later, my manager goes. They're looking for singers. Do You want to go to LA and audition? I'm like, ha ha ha! Funny. He goes, no, seriously. And I, I truly, I truly said, okay, this is going to be you know a great weekend. I'm going to go, go to LA, 5150. I'm going to sing you know Panama and jump <laughs> and have some great stories to tell my you know my boys at home. Right. And I thought, I literally thought. Uh, that was it, and then I remember getting on the. I remember the night before getting on the plane. It was Nuno who, who said, "You can do this," you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes, "You can. Why not? Why not you, Gary?" And I went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah."
0: So was Extreme and, still active at the time, or had you guys decided to part ways for a bit?
2: Yeah, well, actually, I, you know I was trying to keep Extreme together. Nuno was embarking on a, a solo record, and not that Extreme broke up, but it was Nuno was doing that believe it or not, I, you know, six months before that I had an operation, I had a nodule on my throat. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is my career over. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, am I going to school, go to college? <laughs> that, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. So extreme was, you know, unofficially broken up. and it I was doing a solo record and, and, uh, and I had an opportunity to do, uh, to go out and audition. So, uh, and then I went out there and I hit it off, hit it off with the guys. Uh, me and Eddie, you know, we wrote uh, we wrote wrote the first song on the record without you that first day. Really? And I think, yeah, I think the second day, it was Eddie who came up to me and said, "You, you want to join? You know, want to join the band?"
1: So
0: did you did you audition with them first? Did you sing some songs? Yeah, yeah. What tunes did I, you do?
2: I did uh, Panama Jump. What was it uh, Why Can't This Be Love? Uh, don't Tell Me What Love Can Do? I mean, a Sammy song. That was when I really uh, started to appreciate how what an incredible singer Sammy was. You know, I grew up on the Dave stuff. I knew the Sammy stuff, but you know, during Sammy stuff, I was embarking on extremes. So uh, I remember looking at Michael Anthony and go, "You got to help me with this song."
0: Because you know, <laughs> right Sammy's thing. range is so high,
2: right? Uh, yeah, it was insane. It was insane. And then, actually, I I said it to him before, when I went on tour with with Van Halen, doing the Sammy stuff made me a better singer Um, because I I had to find a way to do it or get kicked out of the band, you know. Uh, Right. And uh, that stuff, you can't cheat. So I'm I'm singing Dreams. Some nights I couldn't do it, you know, just tired, you know. Yeah. Uh, But doing the Sammy stuff, because, you know, you find your comfort zone. But when you're challenged with other people's music, you know, doing, those were cover songs. Uh, you know, I went on tour, you know, two-thirds of the of that night were, I'm doing classic Van Halen. The Dave stuff was great. I loved it. I knew it. Uh, but vocally, it, w- it wasn't a challenge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: To, to, to do the Sammy era stuff was, uh, was very challenging. You know, and I came, you know, I came out of that experience a better singer, uh, some of the stuff I did post and Halen, whether it was solo stuff, you know, Tribe of Judah stuff, or later extreme stuff. So my range grew, you know, because of that.
0: Yeah, you worked your muscles to to, to expand to be able to handle that. Because you're the one guy in the band's history that's, that has and, and basically could sing both, because Sammy didn't do a lot of Roth songs, so your shows were always a mix of both. Uh,
2: yeah, you know, I understand... I understand why Sammy probably, you know, he was more a Dave contemporary, you know. Right. And around the same age, they both had their own careers, you know, uh, egos and pride and all that stuff. But uh, not not necessarily egos, but Sammy had his own career. And, again, they were from the same generation. Me, I was following a generation extreme, you know, was influenced by, by VH and... um I knew going into Van Halen you were going to have your die hard Dave your die hard Sammy fans, so I was going to do anything to endear myself to the audience so what was I going to be a prick? and go out there and go no i I'm only going to do you really got me and one one sammy song I, i'd be I'd be pulled out on a hook so
1: <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> you know, so
2: but believe it or not, man, one of my favorite tours that he was playing his ass off the band was you know. Passionate, we were, all, we were all over the place on the stage. I was like a kid in a candy store singing those songs. That was those were no brainers. It was I remember Alex during rehearsals because of that. Because of you know his time with Sammy, and Sammy only did you know selected songs, only a few. He was like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And so I just, I said, "I want to do tracks that you guys haven't done in 20 years." You know, mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the one Romeo's delight. And they were like, all right, cool. And I remember those guys having more of a hard time learning some of the older tracks. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, you probably knew the songs better than they did at that point.
2: Right. it's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, during one of the rehearsals, you know, like, you know, they don't need, it's like us. We Extreme doesn't need to rehearse more than work. I go, well, let's do, let's do Jump. And Alex would get up from the drum tr- "No, We don't have to do that. We don't know that. I go, hey, I've never done it. You know, yeah. I've sung you know sung to it on the radio, but they never wanted to do uh you know who wants to rehearse jump for the millionth time.
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, you just got to jump. You just got to jump right in there, new kid.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: so you said uh, Eddie asked you to join the band on the second day that you were rehearsing with them.
2: Yeah, yeah, we we hit it off. Uh, Eddie was great. I mean, I hit it off with all the guys. I mean, they were they were great with me. They knew they knew what I was getting into mm-hmm. more than I did believe it or not, you know, bit, bit. so, uh, me and Eddie, we just, we hit it off, you know, we ate together. I, li- I lived on his compound and we called the dog house. It was his guest house. <laughs> it, he would go there. Uh, he'd go there when Valley would, you know, kick him out every once in a while. The
0: dog house. I get it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it was a, you know, it was a, I think it was an eight car garage. It was a, you know, a little studio apartment. So I lived there basically making the, making the record. And, um, I remember when he asked me that, I go maybe you should ask the band because, you know, I, I wasn't gonna assume I persuaded Mike or Alex. So uh,
0: he's like, "I am the band."
2: You know, even, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even you know, even though we went you know headfirst into rehearsals and writing a record, I was like a week, a month. I didn't believe it because you know my family and my friends were calling me, "Are you in the band?" I'm going, "I think so." <laughs> I think so. I didn't believe it. So it took me more to realize, okay, so we're, we're doing a photo shoot for the record. Okay, I guess I'm in the van.
0: You know. That's always the way, though, when you're in show business, especially for as long as, as as you have been and I have been, you never want to say anything for sure. You never want to jinx it because you, just in case it doesn't happen, you don't want to right. set yourself up for that fall.
2: Right. You know, and I and, uh, and, uh, remember, you know, the record, it, it took about a year. If I was to look back, and not have not regret, but you know, in hindsight, I would have loved to join a band and jump on tour, and then do the record. Yes, because uh, the band you become a band mm-hmm. uh, you know, on tour. You, you know that you become a band, you're pretty much on the bus, on the plane, whatever, and uh, you're playing every night. You you, f- you find yourself, and I found myself on that tour. The record was more of a project for me. Yeah. Okay, we're writing. Okay, this song works. Uh, All right. That was, you know, some of the songs on the record were a demo vocal, and I was just like, really? Yeah. And and Eddie was. Eddie was like, yeah, sounds good. I'm like, okay, you know, I was gonna, I wasn't gonna question Halen. (laughs) I (laughs) was gonna question these guys. (laughs) uh,
0: Well, and that's the thing too. I I always find like, I mean, I wish that you could record the record after the tour was done, because the songs get so much better over replaying them night after night after night than they do when you're first recording them.
2: Yeah, you, you sing them better, you know them better, you, you present them better. You know, when when you write a song, you know, you think you're coming up, you are coming up with the best melody at the time, but, you know, playing them live and playing them, you know, on tour, you're playing those tons of times. You find, you find the groove, you find the pocket, you find ad-libs, you know, all that. So, uh, yeah, it would be great if you could work it out that way. And I think some of the bands back in the day did it. Um, actually, we did it. I think one of the reasons Porn Graffiti is that much better than the first record is because our first record was delayed a year, and we were playing the clubs. And we were playing Get the Funk Out, Decadence. Right. Even more than words. So you can tell. You know, the first record, we were a bunch of kids, you know, red eye syndrome, <laughs> you
0: know, you well, and and that's something too when you're talking about you know you came into Van Halen where a lot of these songs were maybe being written already or maybe they were being written without really knowing what they had in you cuz this there's, there's, that record is very strange as a Van Halen record and when I why yeah. I say that is the songs are like 5 minutes, 6 minutes, 7 minutes. That's not really the Van Halen vibe that we're used to uh, on previous yeah. records.
2: Yeah, and you know uh, it was a it was a combination it was more you know, it was more of an Eddie record. I think he was coming, he was coming out at the end of the Sammy period. I don't want to get into all that stuff, but sure. Um, you know, I think Eddie was feeling his oats, and um, I came in. I was writing. You know, he sat at the piano for Extreme. That was on a daily basis. So, you know, when it, when Eddie sat at the piano, i said, play. You know, I'd say play that again, and we would do something. Uh, a little bit outside the, the VH circle, you know, mm-hmm. what was expected. Um, looking back on it, I would have um, arranged some of those songs differently. Um, you know, in hindsight, you could do that with all your records. Sure. You. you uh, th- that's an insightful comment. And that was a battle I had with some of the extreme songs. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I think it's a guitar singer thing. You know, some of those arrangements were a little unorthodox. Uh, unorthodox especially coming out of that Van Halen world so if I was to do that record again uh, some of those songs would be shorter some songs were some songs deserve to be and I think of uh, off that record who anybody knows it uh year to the day and once those were songs that needed to be more epic bigger Mm -hmm. some of the other songs some of the rockers could you know could have edited those songs for sure
0: When you're talking about uh, earlier about you wanted to do songs that they hadn't played in years, did you come up with the set list, or or were you guys just kind of saying, "Well, what about this one? Well, I don't want to do that. How about this one? Well, let's do that." Was it more of a collective effort, or did you kind of give them a lot of your input?
2: Yeah, you know that was that was surprisingly they let me choose the set list because really, um, yeah,
1: that's cool. And, um,
2: And I was the one who I was the one. You know, we started. With my record, we had four songs in the set and uh, four or five. And then I ended up having it be three or four because I come from the school. You know, you go see the Stones, you go see Aerosmith. The majority of people want to hear the songs that brought them there.
0: The classics, you know?
2: yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even when you go see a Stones or an Aerosmith, they'll play one new song, two new songs. And that's just, that's just the way of the world. The Herod Jack, they're classic rock bands. So I'm joining this band. And I'm like, I'm not going to impose new songs on people that, you know, I, I did these meet and greets with these Van Halen guys, and I'd be walking by, you know, these fans literally would be worshipping these guys. You know, mm-hmm. I never experienced that. You know, these guys are idols, they're gods. Eddie changed the game. Right. You know? So you've got fans 10, 15 years into their career you know, they lost their virginity. It's the reason they picked up the drums, you know, the reason they got into rock and roll, you know, I see that with Nuno now. I see that with Nuno. You know, see these young guys. Nuno was the reason they picked up uh, the guitar. But when I was in Van Halen, it was an education, and 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 I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to play Van Halen songs. They weren't coming there to see me. Believe it or not, to, people would go see any any Inception of Van Halen, as long as the, you know the core is there. That's no that's no disrespect to what Sammy did, because Sammy Sammy had an era with Van Halen, and uh, and a body of work that that stands the test of time. To put me in that category with one record is is unfair. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be that third guy that was in the band. I would have loved to have done another record, but to put me in that category. Is unfair to me, and um, but also marginal, uh, marginalizes those guys. That, those were errors, you know, Roth and Roth and Hager.
0: I'll say this though, Gary. I saw you guys play in Orlando on that tour. I think it was it was a small gig. It was at like the Hard Rock uh, House yeah. of Blues, something along those lines, whatever it was, whatever's there in, in downtown Disney. And oh. you, you know, here's the thing. Okay, you got a big responsibility, man, because not only do you have to vocally cover Roth. Hagar, your own stuff, but those guys are great frontmen. But so are you, but in a different way. You brought sure. something different to the table with the way that you're very serpentine and slithery, and, and, and your, your style of, of frontman is, is very cool. So it was it was the same kind of magnetic personality that those guys brought in a different way.
2: Uh, thanks. You know, that's funny, because, uh, y- y- you know, you, you had over time, I think uh, in the Van Halen uh, fan base, I think they m- maybe appreciate appreciated a little more. but um you know, I wasn't cut from the Roth school i wasn't mm-hmm. cut, I wasn't cut from the Sammy school both great both great frontmen I mean I'm um, Sammy got shit for not being like like Roth, you know, and me you know again some of the some of the influences I had, you know whether it was whether it was uh Tyler or Mercury those were the guys that mm-hmm. kind of inspired my, how I, how I became a frontman, how I, you know, a Jagger, you know, right. more Jagger school. Good and,
0: call. Very Jagger. That's a good call.
2: You know, than the, than the Ross school. So, uh, you know, it's funny when I got to meet Sammy and you know, we, we would talk about the history and he'd tell me some old stories. And I said, you know, I, you know, I would, I would say, you know, I got a lot of shit from, you know, from fans, you know, all night someone given, Give me the finger all night because I wasn't you or I wasn't or I wasn't Ross. And he and he goes get over it. He goes, I was getting that for ten years. So, <laughs> it's funny, you know. Sammy kind of put put things things into perspective for me. But you know, majority that experience with Van Halen, again, like you said, you know, I I look at it as that's on my application. The next band, I can say, well, you know, I, I can go, I can I can go. Uh, I got a good resume. You
0: know? Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a <laughs> good, did you have a good relationship with uh, with Eddie throughout your entire tenure, the 3 years?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. All the guys, but you know, because I because I wrote with Eddie and Eddie was the sweetest guy in the world. You know, obviously he's had some had some you know, problems with with, with alcohol and all that. Yeah. Uh he's got through it this tour right now and even uh, two thousand and seven i didn 't see two thousand and twelve uh, because I was in town, but uh I, what i 've seen of it the band is the band is ballistic mm. i mean you know uh, people you know give rock a lot of shit, but rock is rough you know he 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 was a prototype yes uh, more people copied his style i mean he 's responsible for almost every eighties rock singer yeah you know, that pulling up pulling out the whole party attitude, the, the whole shtick, you know. He really was a master of so he's still doing his thing. But back to the band, I mean, Alex and Wolfie are incredible players. So this tour is great. Eddie's playing his ass off. I'm, I'm happy that he's, uh, you know, he's clean and he's straight. I've seen a couple interviews. I think he did the Smithsonian thing a, a year ago. And uh, it made me feel good that, you know, he was in a good place, and, he, and he's playing his ass off. I actually like the last VH record. Me too. Um, different kind of truth. Some of the heaviest stuff they've ever done, it's great.
0: Yeah, there's some great riffage on there, man. It was very, very, uh, it was very heavy, which I loved. Do you ever talk to those guys at all, Mike or Alex or Eddie? Do you ever run into them or see them or email or anything?
2: Uh, been out of touch with Alex and, and Eddie, but I, I do keep in touch with Michael. Um, he's gonna. I think he's gonna do a testimonial for uh, the Extreme Pornography DVD. Um, and we, we played with we played with Sammy a few times. He's invited me on stage. Good guys. You know, in in the back of my mind, would I like to see the original lineup again with Michael? Um, yeah. W- whether that will happen or not. I mean, I love Wolfie. I met him when he was a kid, mm-hmm. ten years old. I saw him saw him grow up wide-eyed. You know. Yeah. Uh, him pick up his, you know I saw him pick up his guitar, and i'm like boy this this kid uh
0: I know. yeah, the, at like nine years old or whatever,
2: yeah, he's got the best teacher, you know his father, <laughs> and uh it proved out to be correct'cause that he's uh 'cause Wolfie's a great player, but um Michael's the best, you know whenever I think of Michael, not only as a bass player, I think of him as a vocalist, mm, um, totally. and how- ident- how identifiable his voice was. Uh, to Van Halen as much as Alex's drums or Eddie's uh, Eddie's guitar, you know that's VH.
0: Yeah, the classic sound. Yeah. Was he was he more of a guy that you hung out with while you guys were touring? Did the Van Halens have one side of the room and you guys were on the other, or was everybody just hanging out together?
2: Yeah, it, yeah. It's funny. Eddie was on Eddie was on my left, and Alex uh, Alex obviously in the back, and Michael was on the right, and Mike had his little uh, bass station. Mad Anthony Cafe. So halfway through the show, the shots were starting, and you know, I was I was being the good boy uh, until halfway through the tour. You know, I'd have a bad night vocally, and uh, that's when I started uh, doing a shot with Michael. Michael, uh, Michael is the most fun, still is.
0: Yeah, I was backstage one time at a VH show, and he asked me if I wanted to have a shot of tequila, and kind of like what you were talking about earlier, he said, yeah, I'll hang out backstage at Van Halen and have a shot of tequila with Michael Anthony. Didn't get much more rock and roll than that.
1: No, no, it didn't.
0: (laughs) So the record is, uh, as we get ready to wrap it up, Gary, Retro Grenade, Hurt Smile, uh, and like I said, it's a really, really cool record, and are you guys going to try and do some live shows around this?
2: Yeah, we are. You know, the first record we got to Japan, and we... We hit some big markets in the States. Um, It's really a matter of scheduling. To me, and like you, the best part about being in a rock band is is playing live. Yeah. So that's the plan. I just got to juggle it around. Uh, We did a record release in October. Yeah, hopefully get to New York, Chicago, L.A., and play around the extreme schedule. But that's the plan. And uh, to return the compliment, like you said, you were doing some homework. I was doing some of my homework and you can sing your ass off and your range is incredible. So,
0: thanks man. That's uh, real, that means a lot to hear that from you. Thank you.
2: Yeah, you can sing and uh you got you got a future my friend.
0: You got a <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. I'll come and be your be your vocal rodeo. Sibilance, check one, check two, sibilance. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's going on with Extreme? You guys getting ready to do something new?
2: Uh yeah, we are, actually um we actually we're in the process of writing. We got a couple more festivals that we're we're doing. Um, you know, I'm surprised. I was wondering, has Fozzie been on some of these festivals that, I don't think you were on the festivals that we've done, but have you guys done those rock cruises?
0: We Uh, actually, uh, we're just about ready to do the Kiss Cruise at the end of October, which is awesome. We do most of the festivals in Europe. We're talking about Download and and Sonosphere and those ones. I don't think we've ever crossed paths. I don't think you've ever played Download when we have.
2: No, no, we haven't. Yeah. I think, uh, I think uh, we need a meeting of the minds. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to bump into each other on the road.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
2: And, and uh, this was a great interview. Um,
1: I
0: appreciate it. One last question for you, Gary. I want to know, what's your favorite song to sing with Extreme, and what's your favorite song to sing when you were in Van Halen?
2: Uh, Extreme is probably a deeper track off of Three Sides. I love uh, I love when I'm at uh, Am I Ever Going to Change. Ooh, um, the epic. Yeah. And uh, VH, it was either um, I'm the one or Romeo's delight, and I learned to love uh, dreams because it was such a challenge. Because when I could do it, the song was magical. Actually, right now comes to mind, but I, I would say out of all of them, uh, Romeo's delight was one of my favorites to do. Uh, the riff, and I was just, it was
0: just—it was a—it's a classic.
2: Man. It was a beast.
0: Well, dude, you're a beast. I'll tell you that right now. It's uh, great great to talk to you, Gary. The record is Hurt Smile Retro Grenade and it's been a blast talking to you, man.
2: You too. Thank you very much, man. All I right. appreciate we'll, it. We'll
0: see you on the road you got it thanks to Gary Sharon his latest project is called hurt smile their album is called retro grenade and I wasn't just uh, blowing smoke up his butt it's a great great record I love Gary's voice there's some great riffs on here it'll tide you over into the next extreme record uh, they've done a handful of tour dates looking to do a few more before the end of the year keep your eye on the Facebook page and hit up Amazon to get a copy of the album that is hurt smile retro grenade and please use the talk is Jericho links if you do it you know where to find them go to podcast one click on the support or show sponsors banner at the top of the page then hit talk jericho button i got amazon links for the usa the uk the canada a every time you use the talk is jericho links amazon kicks back a small percentage of the show to help us cover the production costs so go ahead get yourself a copy of hurt smiles retro grenade how about extremes pornography support the talk is jericho process man gary and i thank you all right, the WWE Fall Tour just ended last weekend in Mexico. Had a great time. Uh, not sure when I'm going to be back. i say goodbye, but only for now. Uh, I'll be back, I swear it somehow, okay? Uh, I'll tell you what's going to happen next, though, until I do go back to the WB, A lot of Fozzie gigs, all right? We're leaving October 30th to go on the Kiss Cruise with the Kiss Navy from Miami to Jamaica. Looking forward to that. Lita Ford, Steel Panther, Fozzie, and Kiss. It's sold out, so if you're trying to go, I think there might be a waiting list. Go to kisscruise5.com, and maybe you can get aboard. After that, we're talking uh, talking about going back to Europe and the UK. The Cinderblock Party returns non-point sumo psycho in tow. The dates start November 13th in Rotterdam. We're hitting all across Europe: Vienna, Hamburg, Berlin, Cologne, uh, France on November 20th, Luxembourg. Uh, Reading in London, November 26th at the Islington Academy. That's going to be a huge show. Don't miss that. Manchester, Southampton, Birmingham, Newcastle, Nottingham, Sheffield, and Wales. All the gigs, all the dates, all the information at fozzyrock.com and get some VIP uh, uh, packages as well come meet me and the rest of the guys in the band we'll sign whatever you want we'll have a drinky winky. we will have a good time all right thanks to all of you for listening thanks to talk is jericho supporters talking about burger king me undies.com naturebox.com uh, uber so many great uh, sponsors and thanks to all of you for checking them out and thanks to all of you for listening to me and this show for free for twice a week all right friday we got a good one Doug Mortman and Dave LaGreca from SiriusXM's Busted Open radio show. It's the best wrestling radio show in the world today. I love Dave and Doug. if you haven't listened to the show, you're going to get a crash course in what is good, what is bad, and what is eh about wrestling today. Doug and Dave, Busted Open is going to be here on Friday. We'll see you then, and we'll say a big, yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every
1: Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.